This episode is supported by Seatlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now, as a non-drinker, you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. They're available in Canada and in the US and now at LCBO stores across Ontario. Again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 152. Let me guess, it's going to be a great episode today? It will. We have somebody that I was trying to chase down for a while. Shane, as you know from our recent credit card statements, I was uh, giving my money to a subscription for The Cut magazine. I don't think you were that that I think you were utilizing their five free views. I was accusing you of having all these (laughs) subscriptions. I deep dove it and I was the one who signed up for temporary subscriptions that I've been carrying over for a long time. So I apologize. That's all right. Well, thank God it wasn't me. But who I have tonight is an author I discovered through an article she wrote on The Cut. It was called What My Mom Taught Me About Sex. And this is Tara Ellison, and she details her childhood and that kind of how that led into how she perceived relationships and sex and men as an adult. But her childhood was both beautiful and like incredibly tumultuous, and it's incredibly fascinating. She goes through a lot of it in this interview. And then we just get into relationships in general, sex, internalized misogyny, empowerment, what that all looks like, and how our relationships with men and with other people change when, you know, we're finally in a healthy relationship or we have kids and you go through life and you gain so much wisdom. But Tara is wonderful. Her story is fascinating. And once I read it in the magazine, I was just so excited to hopefully be able to share it with you guys. And here we are. I'm excited. Yeah, no, it's a great one. Tara is a fascinating woman. But Shane, before we get into it, cheers, baby. We got a Seedlip Garden 108 Caesar. Amazing. Oh wow! I don't have I ever had this before. Well, I don't. I I don't know. Maybe when we first started doing Seedlip, but I haven't done a Seedlip Caesar in a Caesar. long time. We got to bring this to the cottage. I know. Caesar's more of a winter, no summer drink, right? Well, you know, the lunchtime drink after a night of yeah. drinking, and this, especially being a non-alcoholic Caesar, is especially good for those no, moments. That's great. And as people who listen know. We're always on fasts from alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So nothing beats a non-alcoholic drink to kind of fill the void that when you're not, <laughs> honestly, it's comforting to, it to drink something that seems alcoholic. Well, it's nice right now too, because we're sitting in the living room and we finally have a little Christmas spirit in the air. We have a tree that's, I mean, three times too big for our house. This damaged our ceiling already. Yep. 
but it's it's real cozy in here. And, you know, it had me thinking and Lucy and Betty were watching this uh, Frozen, what's it called? It's like Frozen Adventure, Olaf's Frozen Adventure. And it's Olaf trying to go and find a Christmas tradition for Anna and Elsa. And then Lucy's like, well, what traditions do we have? And I said, did we not just go and cut down the most beautiful tree you could find and then decorate it and making gingerbread houses and hanging stockings? I said, these are all traditions. And she was liking the concept of it. And then she's like, I need more traditions. And then I was thinking, what about the traditions when we were growing up? And did you, what was your favorite, even if it's like a little tradition, like a tiny one, what was your favorite tradition growing up? And do you still, do you still do it in any way? You're going to hate this answer, but I hated traditions growing up. Even something like carving a pumpkin. My mom and sister would do it. I never had any inclination to do that. But I do like traditions. I just don't like doing them. So a, a good form of comfort food for me was my mom would put on a fire mm-hmm. in the basement and it would like a real fire and it would smell like very warm and cozy and like, you know, real fire laying on the couch watching football in the background or something while my mom and sister are doing traditions together. <laughs> I didn't like partaking in them. For some reason, they bore me. Yes, but you like the fruits of them. But I love them going on around me. Okay, you had two sets of grandparents. So your one grandparent set, Scottish. Your other one's English. They always seem to be, because I had English grandparents too, like so steeped in certain traditions. Did they have any, even if you hated them, like as a kid? My mom's grandparents wasn't too involved. She was, she had Alzheimer's I know when she got older but I think she had early onset a little bit she was a little bit mean and uh yeah my grandpa was an alcoholic on the Scott (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say a tradition of getting mad at the grandkids um but yeah okay Scottish grandfather he kind of just yeah he he would put on a mask and chase Tiffany uh, and I around it was very fun so you just go and he would chase us around he was very fun and he would play harmonica. We'd go to the park and he That's would awesome. sit on a bench and play harmonica. And we'd go on hikes with him. We would go to Niagara Falls like maybe two or three times a year. And that was always very fun. The road trips with the grandparents on my dad's side was very fun. See, he reminds me of my mom's dad, the English one, because he used to carry around whenever there was like a family event or a party. So like Christmas. And he'd have, uh, you know, those old trunks. Like those tickle trunks, no, <laughs> like that people would like take on a ship. You yeah, know? those are tickle trunks, aren't they? They're I, filled with like costumes and things. Are they always called tickle trunks? I think so. Mister Dressup calls them that, right? <laughs> Do you know Mister Dressup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, always. Call them I just didn't know trunks. if they were always called tickle trunks. Probably but not. It was just filled with hats, different hats, and then he'd like put on an English policeman hat, and then he'd go into like English policeman character. Then he'd put on like a nun hat and go into nun character, and it was really funny. Um, but then my babcha, my Polish side, we had like you know big Christmas Eve thing, lots of Polish food, it always uh, meat free, only fish and vegetables and things Wait, like that. There's fish that's meat free. Well, you know, like mammal free. I guess. Mammal free. Okay. Mammal free. That's a type of fish? (laughs) 
but it was like so fun. And I love these little traditions. And I think about what made my childhood. And it it was the little things like that, like getting together with like my family on Christmas Eve, eating borscht and pierogies every Christmas Eve, even when I was a kid. And I hated borscht. What is I borscht? I hate it. It's the beet, beet soup. You like it. It's oh, delicious. Oh, for some reason, I, that sounds like a sausage, but that's a mm-hmm. beet. Okay. Brought, yeah. Is beet a turnip? It's a root vegetable. Beet's a beet. Beet's a beet. It's a root vegetable like a turnip. But uh, If you could only eat one vegetable the rest of your life, oh. would it be beet or turnip? <laughs> it's a one vegetable out of those two? Yes. Beet. You can do so much with beets. Pickled beets, they're delicious. What about you? <sighs> you bring, uh, I feel like turnip is use Is turnip used for anything... You can mash turnip and it's pretty good. Yeah, what's the mash turnip? What's that stuff that it's kind of like sour? We like it. We dip it and it gets hot. <laughs> what is it? We had it recently. We dip it. It came and on it the gets side. Hot. It's white, and you dip it and it's kind of hot. It's spicy. Yeah. Where do we dip it? Where did we get this? We you sometimes dip a sausage in it. We were somewhere. We we Hummus? had it. no. It's spicy. Baba Ganoush? No, it's... We had it on the side of a plate. <laughs> I don't think it was turnip. Yes, it was. It was something like that. And you were like, ooh, I love... What's a white, hot substance <laughs> that you love? <laughs> um. <laughs> no. Uh, what is it? Okay, you well, you got to keep this, this is on your mind. Now. Shane, I have no idea what you're look, talking about. I've never been more confused. Honestly. Look up turnip sauce. <laughs> they don't make a sauce. Horseradish. Horseradish. What's that? Horseradish is made of, not turnips, horseradish. Okay. Radishes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So horseradish is a plant and you make it and you put in, Yeah. Isn't horseradish what you love that you did? I love horseradish and it go. is spicy. But yeah, I'd go with beet 100%. You could do so much with them. Did you know when I was a cheap university student who was also a vegetarian and was getting all one with the planet, I used to make makeup out of beet powder. How'd that look? Great, actually. Like amazing. So for the lipstick, I did beet powder and vodka and then you like put it in a little thing and you can you can take it around with you and it was like a lip gloss. It was amazing. Hmm. Yeah. Why don't you still do it? Well, because I have money now. Oh, and I'm uh... So it couldn't be that good, right? <laughs> well, it just takes less time. But I want to ask you, Shane, because, you know, thinking about like Christmas when we were kids and how this special part about it is just the fact that like your parents make it magical for you, whether it's your mom starting the fire and doing all those things or like you know, my parents, my grandparents cooking this huge, beautiful meal and doing all this like fun stuff. Your parents make Christmas cozy for you. So as a parent, what do you find, number one, the most rewarding at Christmas time, Christmas time and number two, the most difficult, like the hardest part? Cutting down the Christmas tree was probably the hardest oh, part. That, that was just, it took so much more effort. Do you think it took 20 minutes? Those saws were brutal. And I... <laughs> And that that was very difficult. And the angle to cut the tree was bad. But when I, we ended up seeing your cousin and your uncle Mm -hmm. and they were having a heck of a time with it too. So that made me feel better. I have to say, so we go to this Christmas tree farm, right? Like the one that's like Disney World, we couldn't get into because it booked up like two months ago. Yeah, what's that? Mary Farm? Mary, Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So we found another farm and it was great. It was Andrew's. They don't take reservations. You just have to show up. So we showed up 10 minutes after it opened and by the time we were parked, it was 
just out of control. So many people. Um, but we found a tree. And when Shane was laying there cutting this thing down with the rustiest saw, like a handsaw, and it looked like something like a prop from a horror movie. It didn't even look like a real saw. And Shane is not only on the ground sawing the tree, but he's in a mud puddle because it was the only way that he could have access to like a better angle of the tree. So I commend you for that. Yeah, it was an awkward angle. I hate getting the Christmas tree. If it wasn't for you, I would never cut down a tree. (laughs) If I was ever to get a live tree, which I didn't grow up getting, I would get it from a local supermarket or something. Which I like doing too. We've done the last two years, garden stores and whatnot, and it's been good. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, that's my least favorite. But I like that. Or the hardest. It's just, it's fun. I like, I like going out there and walking in the brisk air. It's fun with the kids. Usually, like a Mary, they'll offer you apple cider or hot chocolate or something, and it's just cozy. To me, it's like exercise. I don't like doing it. I dread it, but I'm glad I did it. (laughs) We have the coolest tree, and we wouldn't have had this tree if we didn't do that. You know what I mean? So, guys, we got this tree this year, and I'm really impressed by it. It's a scotch pine instead of, like, your typical Christmas tree, I guess. It's very freaking cool. It feels more tree-like than other trees. It has a quite a big bald spot on it because Lucy picked it out, but we made the best <laughs> of it and made it seem like the bald spot is growing mushrooms from it. It's very – yeah, we have lots of mushroom ornaments for some reason. Um, and I do want to reiterate, because this was a huge thing – on my account this week and a lot of people didn't know that this was necessary shake your tree if you're getting a live tree even from a parking lot you need to shake it when you get home because you don't know what's inside there could be spiders in there spiders ticks i had uh somebody from the conservation authority message me about this when they saw my posts and they said there have been cases of live owls flying out of the tree into somebody's house because The birds and the, what are you, aviary animals, they get so scared that they don't leave the tree when it's getting cut mm-hmm. down. So they just kind of like hang on tight. And then they're like near death when it's getting bailed and, you know, shipped. So then if you do have something like that come out, it needs to be taken to like a rehab ASAP because it's going to be in bad shape. But yeah, you can get nasty things from there. We found one ladybug. My girlfriend messaged me today after seeing my stories because she didn't shake it. Found a praying mantis in her tree. Oh, my God. Yeah, Veronica. I didn't know they hung in trees. She said it was dead. Oh. But. Terrifying. So <laughs> so for you, what's the hardest part or least satisfying of parenting? Um, I, Well, the, the most rewarding, I think, is like doing the hard things. Like you and I waking up early after having a night out because we went out the night before we cut down the tree. That's rewarding? Well, here, here's the thing. Yeah, it's us doing like the hardest, most annoying things. And then, you know, the kids are like screaming and arguing at the tree lot. And it was kind of awful. But then we get home and we're decorating it. And Lucy is so happy. And I was feeling so happy. You were feeling so like it was just so nice. And that felt so rewarding. But the hardest thing, I think it's just knowing what to freaking do for the kids. And it's like the stress of... What do we spend? And she wants a million things. Like Lucy was asking me for an Elsa castle, but not one for her dolls, like one for her personally. So she wants like a human sized castle. Yeah. Well, four is the most confusing, difficult (gasps) year of Christmas because essentially it's your first Christmas. You really Mm -hmm. understand that a magical man is coming to your house and you really don't know what's possible. You mean like you have to think, 
okay, it's possible that a magic man can come and give gifts, but why isn't it possible that this magical man could produce a castle in my backyard? <laughs> and only after this Christmas will she understand that it's kind of like commercial gifts that she's getting. And Santa also gives the shittier gifts to Lucy. Like we give the good stuff. We'll get Santa to give like the Play-Doh and the paints and everything. You know, the stuff that you can buy in bulk on Amazon. It's all very confusing. No wonder kids figure out that there isn't Santa so quickly. (laughs) Well, I have a hot take, a Christmas hot take, if you want to hear. What is it? All right. Everybody's complaining about Elf on the Shelf. Oh, it's so annoying. You got to move it every day. Think of these things. First of all, don't let yourself get into the big dramatic setups, okay? All we do is we just put them on a different stoop in the house every single day and it works good enough. But people shit on Elf on the Shelf. I freaking love Elf on the sh- on the friggin' can't say it, Elf on the Shelf. It is the easiest way. And I know like I mean, you could probably listen to me early on in this podcast when we first started and I was like, there's, it's not good to, you know, extrinsically motivate your kids. I'm not going to do that. I won't succumb to it. But I love Elf on the Shelf because it extrinsically motivates your kids. And as a busy mom of two who is working and like Shane is working his ass off and there's no time for anything. I need that elf on the shelf to just be that set of eyes scaring her into like good behavior, you know? It's so helpful. But the invisible load, you know, of trying to think (laughs) about where to put that elf every night, it adds up. It could be the invisible load straw. But you know what? That's why I just keep it simple with that stupid elf. And again, just put like, I'm looking at these stockings we hung up on the wall because I didn't know where else to put them. I'm going to throw them in one of those tonight. Nice. Perfect. Genius. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have a hot take? What do you like? Elf on the shelf? Yes, no. I have zero thoughts about elf on the shelf. I don't concern myself with worrying about where to put an elf every morning. (laughs) Um, I'm confident that Lucy will, like, even if I accidentally forget one morning, I'm confident that I can come up with a good enough excuse as to why Jolly is there again. Maybe she moved an imperceptible amount that I can notice, but Lucy can't. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that's my excuse. Like once, I guess once they're past four, it gets harder because they're smarter. Like every year, like I think from five, you're just preparing for Santa not to exist anymore. Oh, Lucy's at the perfect age where she is just blissfully ignorant and it's amazing. But Shane, I have two more questions for you. Yeah. If Santa could give you, we're pretending Santa's real. If Santa could give you one of the following in limitless supply, what Mm -hmm. would you choose? Money? power or good looks i feel like with money i could have all three there's no getting all three why not i don't know in this with, world with you money can't. with money you have power well not necessarily why not well just because you have money doesn't mean that like people like you and want to get you involved in things or like let you cut in the beginning of the line or do politics with you i'm sure if word got out and i advertised it properly <laughs> that they would act that way I find people get their ass kissed all the time. We just It's like, oh, I'm pretending to like this guy because he has money. But people do it all the time. See, I choose money because I don't want to be powerful necessarily. I like how you <laughs> acted like you chose something different. You see, I'd choose money. That's what I said. No, but I'm for the money alone, not in conjunction or like not because of the power and good looks that I could get you, you know, but money alone and then just go hide out somewhere. 
Well, and just stay away from any of the power games and not invest and don't get into politics and just hide out in my little corner of the world. Why aren't you choosing good looks though? Don't you want to know what that's like? If I'm hiding out in a little corner of the world with all my piles of cash, it doesn't matter what I look you, like. Nobody's going to see me. But you don't know. You don't want to know what it feels like to be good looking for a second. No. You don't. <laughs> Are you insulting me? <laughs> <laughs> But, okay, wait. So if you get the money, yeah, does that mean, let's say, wait, someone's calling me. I got to answer this phone call. So we just got a call from Shane's uh, production head guy. And uh, those names are bleeped out, but they were all the names of very important people. And, yeah. When we she, didn't beep out names. We're not well, putting we're, the call on here. Oh, we're not keeping the call. I thought it was funny, the nudity part. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Wait. So where were we? So yeah, I choose the money. Yes. And just hide out. Okay. So here's my question though. What? If you choose money, does that mean if you were to be a person who had any beauty, would it get taken away? I don't care. I don't care. I'm hiding and swimming in the Mediterranean and eating like fresh octopus every day and drinking the best wine. I don't care. I'm not saying you do care. I'm asking from just knowing how this game works. Yes. You don't have, you have zero. You have negative objective beauty. And you have negative power, but you have money. Oh, maybe not negative, maybe neutral power. Neutral power, no beauty. <laughs> Lots of money. Lots of money. Yeah. And then you could, hmm. so you could donate and help people, of course. But I mean, Mediterranean swimming, fresh octopus, good wine. Yeah. I feel like beautiful men have a harder time getting money. <laughs> what? Well, I feel like, and this could be wrong, that if I was very beautiful man, like let's say I was like Shamar Moore, but like 22, it's harder to get rich get out of here i don't think it is really? i don't think it is there are fewer male models than female models and i think that if you were strikingly beautiful in an objective way that everybody could agree on you'd be set you'd be so set somebody would get you into acting or modeling or something oh so you think that the like how the, the scarcity of male modeling actually is your greatest superpower yeah, like Shane, I, I, I've Because male to models make 10 times less. But you're saying because of that, that means the ones who really break through, really break yes. through. I see. Yes. So like the one that I dated, we've talked about him on the podcast before. And not a pleasant guy to be around. Like not the brightest, but thought he was the brightest. So kind of irritating. Mm -hmm. But just like kind of strikingly handsome. Yeah. And did so well. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he booked every kind of campaign. Yeah, like the top dogs. Okay, well now I'm just jealous. <laughs> okay, listen, Shane's also dated models. Well, I haven't dated models. Yes, you did. You dated that one model. I did? Unless you were just telling me you were dating models to make me Which jealous. Which model? The, the model. Right before me, you were dating a model. That's not true. No. A weather lady. No, also a model. No, there wasn't. You said, I remember you said, are you talking about peace, love, and green juice? No. Oh. I'll say. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess she was a model. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beat all this. Okay. 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 Last question. What? Okay. When you, if you poop in public and there's like. Wait. In what? public? In a bathroom in public, oh, Shane. Yes. And there's like 
poop in the toilet, what do you do? Do you just flush, flush a co- it? No, but of course. <laughs> I don't mean like. This the, is easy. The, I don't mean the turd. I mean like if there's like poop marks in the toilet, what do you do? Do you just flush your stuff down and then if there's like a mark or two, you just say, oh, nothing I can do and walk away? Or do you try your best to get rid of it? Wait, when you say try your best, what do you mean? Well, get rid of it. Do you get rid of it? Because I will not leave a mark. How do you get rid of it? Well, if you wad up a big thing of toilet paper and then flush, you can just kind of get it before it all flushes. Yeah, with the water drains. I will do that if I'm at a cottage. But not at work. At work, no, I absolutely wouldn't. Unless there's a big lineup and people are knocking or something. Yeah, because I've noticed there's just been a, a, an epidemic of people not doing that. It's just like... Oh, is this the expectation? I don't know. I, I do it just because I'm like, I don't want the person behind me to think I like pooped everywhere. This is a good poll for Instagram. I'd love to know this. Mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, I don't care if somebody else doesn't do it. Like, I don't care because that's what bathrooms are meant for. But You just called it a pandemic. <laughs> Epidemic. <laughs> Epidemic. I mean. But I just don't want to be the one doing it. But I don't care I if somebody know. else does. Is there anything else like that that you don't mind if someone else does but that you wouldn't do? I hate it when men spit in public. But you'll spit. No. Okay, that's not... I'm just saying I hate it when men spit in public because I always think they're doing it at me. Oh, okay. It's like it feels disrespectful even if they're not. If they're in my vicinity and they spit, I'm like, you asshole. Yeah. You know what I mean? I hate it. It's gross. Yeah, I don't mind if I fart, but I don't like other people farting. That would be my thing. <laughs> I think everybody's like that. Yeah, I Remember? just had a good one. The uh, I like to uh, I have to call my sister girls when we had them on the podcast. Yeah. And her big secret was that she loves the smell of her own farts, but her, and she <laughs> <laughs> but it's like everybody doesn't mind it at least. It's yeah. like Would you say you enjoy it? No, I don't enjoy it. Hmm. But it's like not as bad as if you were to do an equal to you know right. what i mean <laughs> with that should we get to our really serious and amazing interview with tara allison let's do it but before we get to that amazing interview with tara allison let's tell everyone who we are supported by we are supported by true earth and if you listen to this podcast you know that shane and i have been trying to reduce our environmental footprint dipping our toe in and a great way To do that, no matter what way you kind of want to bring environmentalism into your life, is by checking out True Earth. So we discovered True Earth laundry detergent first, and we've not looked back. The detergent comes in these pre-measured soluble strips that you simply rip apart and put in your wash. They are so easy. And the best part is that there is no plastic, no plastic packaging. It's like so compact. It takes up less than a freaking centimeter on your shelf. It really is amazing. And it's drastically changed even just the tidiness of our laundry room. And as a family with kids who have super sensitive skin, we usually go for the baby detergent because it's fragrance-free, gentle on everyone's skin, but it's still so tough on dirt. Our clothes come out smelling so good, and they are crispy clean. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 to get 10% off your order. And you could be getting the detergent, you could be getting their washcloths, their beeswax, food wraps. They have so much that will help you on this website. You really need to take a look. And this promo code will be good for either a one-time use or for a subscription. 
So it will be good for your entire year-long or however long subscription you want to do. And again, that is so significant. So that is true.earth and this family tree 10. And now let's get to our interview with Tara. All right. So Tara, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I have been so excited to speak with you or hopefully speak with you since I read your article, What My Mom Taught Me About Sex in the Cut. And I'm so happy that you were willing to sit down with me for this. Oh, wow. Thanks for having me. And I'm so glad you connected with the piece. It was a a very vulnerable and raw piece, you know, putting that out there in the world and you never sort of know how things are going to land. So I had uh, quite a bit of anxiety about it before it came out. So it's really lovely to see that it has touched people. Absolutely. And, you know, for those listeners who haven't read it yet, it essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, you might want to add to this, but from what I got, you know, it it details your childhood growing up with a mom who had lots of boyfriends and had a very distinctive relationship with men and with sex. And this is kind of the world that you were brought up in. So the article detailed your reaction, how you internalized everything and grew up with it. How would you describe it? Is that okay? You did a beautiful job. Thank you. Uh, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, I had um, I had a crazy childhood and we were sort of moving around from different countries. I was born in London. Then we went back to my mother's home in Sydney. And then we went to Hong Kong with her fiance. And then there was different fellows in the mix. And then we would make these bold sweeping moves like either with a man or to get away from a man and like start over. So it was sort of a lot of chaos. And my mom was a single mom and, you know, there wasn't a dad in the picture. So it was just, it was just her, like she was my kind of entire world. And then there were these sort of, you know, annoying fellows that were around. (laughs) And that was my perception of them at the time. I was like, oh, geez, here's a, here's another one. And they sort of interrupted my flow with my mother and my mother was basically my person. So, um, yeah, we had a a very interesting relationship. And even though you're not aware of it at the time, as a child, you're sort of absorbing all of that and internalizing, as you said, you just kind of take it all in. And I really only started connecting the dots way later in life. Like I knew that I was really messed up in relationships (laughs) (laughs) and I just wasn't very good at them. And then it slowly started to dawn on me that, okay, maybe this was sort of learned behavior. Maybe I picked some of this up and I didn't really have good role models in terms of relationships or what, uh, what being in a relationship Mm -hmm. looked like. I, I saw the sex part. I knew there that that was, you know, I thought that was the main ingredient. I, as far as I could tell, there wasn't really (laughs) other components. And, uh, So, you know, it was a lot of hard work to sort of slog through all that and just get my heart stomped on and kicked around. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a a lot of that. But eventually, you know, you get sick of that and you're like, okay, really, I need to make some changes because um, for me, it really sort of turned around when I had a daughter of my own and I couldn't keep my marriage together. And then I was deathly afraid of like, oh my God, I'm just going to repeat this genetic shit show Mm -hmm. and pass all this 
terrible stuff and trauma onto my daughter. And that really kind of gave me the fuel to make changes because otherwise I could see how I would just be dating with my kid like my mom did. Yeah. And I did go on a few dates in the in the beginning, like when I got separated and stuff, but I just like made sure I didn't do it with her. <laughs> well, it it is so difficult, especially if your parent, your single parent is your whole world. Like you said, it was you two doing your thing. And then these guys would come in as like annoyances. And, you know, you mentioned like I knew sex was a part of a part of it. And the article is what my mom taught me about sex. That is so intertwined in the relationship that, you know, you kind of illustrated. And it's interesting because I grew up knowing that was a huge part of relationships, too. But it was different. My parents are together. My parents have an incredibly loving relationship to the point that I knew how loving they were getting with each other growing up. And it really, the first couple times, especially the first time, it really freaked me out. It really impacted me because that was about the age that I was like, oh, I know it's naughty because Mm -hmm. maybe we hadn't had the talk yet because I was still pretty young as a family. So they hadn't told me that, hey, it's not naughty. Like it's something that you can do. It's a, a way to show your love and your emotion with a person that you love and respect and feel safe with. We hadn't gotten to that point. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, they're doing this bad thing when we go to bed. And I know they're when they shut their bedroom door, that's what's happening. And I couldn't sleep at night. And this is with my own parents. And it took a long time, I think, until I was in like my late teens, early 20s to be like, oh, no, I get that. I respect that. And I want that. But it was a weird shift in how I would describe it now isn't how I would describe it when I was a kid. So I'm curious, you know, how you would, if you had like a couple words that you'd use to describe your childhood as a kid and what you'd use now and if they've changed at all. Well, it was just sort of fragmented my childhood. That's really, you know, in moments beautiful, but Mm -hmm. fragmented. And there were wonderful parts of it. And then now, I look back and particularly as a mother, I think it really shifted once I became a mother because then your whole lens changes and then you realize like, okay, maybe that wasn't so okay what I was witnessing or, you know, it just made me feel like, well, I really, I really want to feel like I'm protecting Mm -hmm. my kid. And as a kid, I never really felt that safety net. I never really felt protected. So Um, That was something that really, really hit me hard when I became a mother and thinking about the absences that we had, like I would go and visit my grandmother for a while and sometimes I would come back or sometimes I would stay in Australia and just thinking like, would I want to be away from my, I mean, being divorced is really sort of brutal because you do have to have those separations from your child, but they weren't like months and months or a year at a time they were more manageable chunks of time so that's how often you ended up kind of being separated from your mom right in your childhood like you'd be with her and then all of a sudden you'd kind of get shipped off well it's interesting because parts of my childhood I can't access completely so I know I I have memories of like okay I was put on a plane 
I would fly by myself. I would go see my grandmother. Sometimes I would come back or sometimes my mother would come down and join us. But um, there were these missing periods of time when, when she wasn't with me. And then the main one, the biggest one was as I was turning 13, I think um, 12, 13 at the time. And uh, I went, we went for the Christmas holidays and that ended up being, you know, a couple of years. See, like this, this happened to an ex-boyfriend of mine. My, my husband, Shane, and I talked about it on our last podcast, cause we were talking about marriage addicts and it, you know, an ex-boyfriend of mine, his mom was what I would say is possibly a marriage addict and the the marriage that she had had when I was with him she just kind of went on vacation and then never came back and got married and stayed in a different country and he was in his early 20s which is older but you're still such a freaking baby in your 20s and your how you form relationships is still changing you're still working that out and and I couldn't really understand it. I, I, I wasn't judgmental of it, but I had a hard time wrapping my head around that. And, you know, like, I'm curious, like, how did that impact, especially as you started getting older, impact your relationship with your mom? Because like, when we're little, we look at our parents and we're like, oh, they know everything. They are my world. Like, your world is confined to what they show you. But then when you start thinking for yourself and you're a little older, sometimes that, that changes and you're like, oh, my parents don't know everything. They're not God. And I can find this fault in their personality. Yeah, that that started eroding in my teens, probably when uh, I went to Australia and stayed um, with various relatives because I became really angry with her. But what I sort of learned, the lesson I absorbed was that romance trumps motherhood. Like you, that thrill of like falling in love or you want to yeah. see somebody like way more exciting than just, you know, the day-to-day grind that motherhood can be. So I, I understood that pull. Like I, I got it. But as as the, the kid, <laughs> you're not terribly happy about it. Uh, so my my relationship with my mother is so, it, it's ever-changing, right? So I think I was mad at her in my teens. And then I sort of bonded with her the more screw-ups I made with men and the more kind of brokenhearted I became. And then I would seek her counsel. And it was almost like it kind of glued us together in a different way because she got to watch all of my mishaps instead of the other way around, instead of like me watching hers. And then as I got older and actually into my forties, then it sort of shifted again for me, like back to, I I don't know whether it was just that you could say maybe I needed her less and that distance gave me a new perspective. I also had a therapist that would say, you know, it's really good. It's really healthy when you get mad at your mom. And I'd be like, (laughs) he's like, you always protect your mother. And I was like, no, I don't. And I was like, well, I do. Like, I don't. I would deal with these moments in, in history and try to put humor around them, make them funnier, like, ah, it's not so bad. Yeah, my mother is, you know, having guys in the same bed, but, you know, I would try to um, dismiss it in a way. And then as I've gotten older, and I'm in my 50s now, and uh, I've let go of some of that need to kind of like, fix it or like make it a little bit 
like it is what it, these are the events of my life. And like, you know, I don't need to dress them up for anybody or like make them more palatable. It was kind of, you know, rocky at parts and other parts. It was quite, quite beautiful between us and we would do fun things. And my mother's really fun. So it's complicated. Like I was really sort of feeling irritated with her for most of this year. And then as I started writing this piece and I, I would call her and talk to her, and lately, I've been calling her almost every day. <laughs> so funny. And normally, I'm like running away, like, oh, my, God, my mother's calling. I don't want to, like, I'm saying to my husband, like, oh, do I pick up? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But I think it's really sort of in the writing of it, it's healing and transforming the sort of um, ickiness that was left for me. So that's been an unexpected uh you know, benefit to kind of writing about this in a new way and like Mm -hmm. letting go humor, it's sort of um, transmuting that anger. Yeah, no, it can be so cathartic. And I feel the same way about things like talking about them or you writing about them, making videos about them, even I just it's a cathartic experience. And it helps me to connect and to see other points of view. And you know, you mentioned a couple times, and I want to just like for the the listeners who haven't read it yet, uh, you know, you mentioned the icky parts and you said, you know, have men in the same in the same room, in the same bed like that happened. Like yeah. she was with a guy in a bed and like that you were in. And I'm, I'm so like, how do you how do you dress that up? You said you would dress things up like something like that. I can imagine as a kid just like pushing it out of my brain. But then as a teenager, I was like, I was kind of bitchy for like two years there when I hit puberty. (laughs) I got real bitchy. And I could only imagine being so furious about it. And then I I don't even know how I would broach that. Can Mm -hmm. I know the process of like even a situation like that? It's it's, It's so fascinating to me. And I think it says, and we can learn a lot out of people's you know, trial and error conversations with their parents and bring them into our own lives in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, there would be times when I would go to sleep as a little kid. The first time I sort of really remember it was um, around four when we moved to Hong Kong and we were staying in a hotel room and I had gone to sleep, like looking at all the twinkling lights in the the harbor. And then um, I woke up and there were these scary noises and like they're in the bed, like, you know, just off to the side and they're and and it was terrifying I really just didn't know what was happening and I I cried and I I thought he was killing her because she there made noises and I'm like oh I mean you heard the same thing you know (laughs) (laughs) it's like whoa what's happening so there were times that because we shared a bed there were times that that happened I mean it wasn't a daily thing but there were times when I would wake up and you know there was activity going on so yeah, I mean, it's hard to remember exactly how I processed it then, but I think I did feel pretty needy of her and I didn't like sharing her in that way. But once I got to my teens, um, I was pissed. I was sort of yeah. surly, like you're saying, like, <laughs> but, you know, the, the lucky thing for her is that she lived in a different country for a lot of that. Like some of those years I was in Sydney, she was in Hong Kong, so she wasn't 
subjected. So it wasn't like we had internet back then. I couldn't like email her or we didn't have cell phones. It was just, you know, if I wanted the the phone calls were prohibitively expensive. Um, So it was a really big deal that you planned ahead if you were going to have a phone call and, you know, they had to be quick. So we would write letters to each other. So it's pretty hard to, um, at that point, express what's going on in your te- your teenage angst and everything. And on top of it, like, hey, I'm really pissed that you just kind of abandoned me with like all your <laughs> all <laughs> relatives, all your siblings, you just like, you know, dumped your kids on them. And then in my 20s, I think I w- reverted to like, you know, just getting along with her and not really looking mm-hmm. too closely. And um, pretty much my whole life, uh, I have thought that I had father issues. It didn't occur to me that I had any mother issues because my father was the glaring absence in my life. I didn't meet him until I was 15. He met me once as a baby and then that we we moved away and it was very hard pre-internet to like keep track of people when you're moving globally. So I didn't track him down until I was 15 and he didn't try to track me down either. So that was that, but I, that was the most obvious thing hook that I hung all my legs on. I'm like, okay, I'm not good with men because I didn't have a dad. So I didn't see how this whole thing works. I didn't, didn't get that sort of inside info. Uh, But then a girlfriend said to me, probably when I was like 30, she's like, you know, she knew she'd known me for a long time at that point. She was like, you know, it's really going to blow your mind when you figure out that you have mother issues and it's not even so much your dad. And I always remember those words because at the time I'm like, what is she talking about? Like, I get along fine with my mother, but, you know, it's complicated. And I could get along fine with my mother. And at different points, I, I absolutely have. But but then you, so as you get older and you look at things differently, it, it all changes. Yeah, well, I can imagine like, in so many ways. And I think about my relationship with my mom, her relationship with her mother, hers had more turmoil in it. Like her mother as a younger woman was a drinker. My mom was like, I think she was like an accident baby and they were really much in their party phase of life. All the other kids were quite a bit older. And I think my mom felt just unwanted Mm. a lot in her childhood. And she had a really tricky relationship with her mom up until her mom was elderly. And then my mom was caring for her a lot of the time and they really reconnected in this gorgeous way and had this really meaningful love that they developed as like adults. And me with my mom, like it was, there was never much turmoil, right? It was just your typical pubescent, angry teenager, like yelling about getting space in the mirror. But I remember like when I got pregnant, I talk about this often, I just started calling her up every day and I'm like, mom, I'm so like, this is what you went through. Pregnancy sucks. Like, I'm so sorry. This is awful. And then other things, you know, it'll go from that to I'll be making decisions for my own daughters as a mother. And then I'm like, oh, this is different than how my parents did it. Why, why didn't they choose to do it the way I'm doing it? Why didn't they focus on this? And then that can cause a little bit of, not resentment, but questioning. And like, have you gone through those phases? Like, has did having your own kids kind of bring to light certain things for you? Yes. I mean, like, as you're saying, like, it, it, it definitely changes things because you do start revisiting things and thinking like, well, why why didn't you do that? 
for me or, you know, the differences for me. My mother has two sons. I have two brother, half brothers, and she's much closer with the boys, I think, uh, especially one of the boys, the youngest one, than um, she's ever been with me. And there's part of me that's like, well, wait, I was the first. I was around the longest. Like, why? Why did it turn out that way? But I, I have one daughter and I have four stepchildren. So, you know, it's different. It's, it's a different relationship with the stepkids because they have their own mom and I'm, I'm sort of there to assist yeah. <laughs> if I can. Um, but definitely with my daughter, I, I had actually, I had a lot of panic about her safety and I always worried so much. And, and especially like going through divorce when there's a, half of her life, I didn't know what was happening or where she was or what she was doing. And, you know, I had to sort of come to terms with the fact that like, she has a very different life than I did. So she's actually got a much better support system and I didn't need to worry as much, but I was thinking like with my own lens of like, wow, I had this crazy, there was like danger at every turn and like perverts and like things that I had to like, you know, people I had to back off and, I just so worried that she might have the same experience, but the the huge relief is that that she has had a, her whole, you know, her life is completely different. Mm. So that that has been a great gift in a way. But yeah, it it does change it when you become a mother because then you have to you really do evaluate those choices. And I, I definitely haven't been a perfect mom, but I, I really have that tried. That doesn't exist, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't exist. But I really felt like I didn't I didn't know, like, what what do normal moms do? Because my, my normal was not anybody else's normal. So I would just kind of watch what good moms, what like at school, like what other moms were doing, or I just tried to learn and like basically do the opposite of what I had. <laughs> So that was my formula. <laughs> that was pretty basic. Just like, okay, she did this. I'm going to make this choice. I'm, uh, so anyway, no no sex in the bed or sex anywhere that she's like, you know. <laughs> That's probably a good, that's probably a good call. Um, aware of, you know, at least to my knowledge, who knows, right? <laughs> you could have a totally different story. It's true. It's true. And you'll find that out about, I'm sure, at some point too. Yeah, uh, she'll write her own like, article about what a terrible mother I was or something like that I think I think we all get talked about in therapy at least once but you know there's so much I think as a cycle breaker like you are I think there is so much empowerment in that but then also a lot of responsibility that you end up putting on yourself right? To say, this is the route that I'm taking. I want to be successful in this. And then you put, there's a lot of pressure as well as empowerment. And that's my take on it. But I, I'm curious how you would describe the feeling of, you know, breaking a, a generational cycle. Well, I feel good about showing her, giving her a different example. And I don't go so far as like, oh, yeah, you know, I achieve, I, I feel like it's a work in progress. So I don't feel like it's, it's, um, even though for that period of time, like, you know, now she's turning 21 and, and for most of her life, I've, I've been with her stepfather. It's almost 17 years now. So she really has only a memory of me being with him. So that's way more stable than my experience was. 
But, you know, there's more to it than that. So I don't sort of feel, I never like give myself that break. Like even as you're talking about, I feel my chest tightening, like, you know, that pressure and that responsibility is kind of always there. And I still always think like, God, have I been a good enough mother? Like, did I, did I give her what she needed? And so I don't sort of rest in the place of like, great, I broke a cycle. I, I sort of feel like, you know, if, if I, if I miss a step, I could be right down a tunnel and like, she might have a whole other, you know, catalog of complaints against me. I don't know, but it, it's sort of, it's that fear that like, I don't want to end up like my mom or make, make even like today, like I, I feel sad about like her predicament in life. So so that's part of what drives my engine and that's, and being the cycle breaker is part of it, but it's almost like I'm not at the finish line yet. If that sense, like, I don't know that I can fully say I've achieved it yet. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I think it's so hard and I agree that it is kind of, it's never ending, but I think that you sound like a very reflective person and mother. And I think that that in itself makes a good mother. If you can reflect and like be honest with yourself and say, hey, what's not working? What is working? And use your discoveries. I think you're you're so ahead of generations and generations of women who just said, that's what I did. I'm not going to think about it twice. And we're just going to stick to it and never speak of it again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Well, um, I think they would have if those women must have been um, parented very differently, you know, that they have that sort of assurance in their own parenting. Um, I basically parented myself. So that's why uh, my cousin reminded me of that recently when I was back in Australia seeing, seeing family, she was like, you know, you, you pretty much just brought yourself up. You raised yourself. And, and I was like, yeah, you're right. I did. So I, I questioned my parenting mm. I think um, it's a good idea to question your parenting. Like maybe if you're, you know, overconfident in it, maybe that isn't a good thing. But um, I haven't had that sort of assurance that it's uh, that I, I've got it all handled. Yeah, and but yeah. I admire people that do. I mean, if <laughs> I you're, you know, confident in it, <laughs> like great. And I know some amazing mothers, and it comes so naturally to them. And I'm always in awe of like how nurturing and loving and um free with it all they are I, I felt like I was like furiously pedaling like the duck on water like the legs are going 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 like I'm trying to like okay can we get to school like all these things it's like <gasps> well it's different it's difficult too as a single mother because all of the hardships and the difficulties of motherhood as well as all the beauty of it like you're doing it alone so you don't have anybody to share in the tough parts or beside you in some of the beautiful parts where you're sitting and being like, oh my God, look what they're doing right now. Like that's, I, th I think that's very difficult. So, I mean, it's no wonder why you felt like that because that's what you were, that's what you were likely doing. And, you know, so much of this, I think again, like internalized. And one other thing I want to touch on was I always struggle with trying to work out of my mind if it is empowerment or internalized misogyny, <laughs> when, you know, 
we are or women are finding validation through sexual relationships because on one hand it's like men have been doing this for since the dawn of time and if you like sex go get that sex but then on the other hand how are you getting that and what kind of power positions are you putting yourself in and I'm so curious your take on that yeah well I think it can be both and I think that um you can feel empowered that you can have, you know, like women today, uh, I haven't been single for a really long time, but you know, I, I read voraciously. I know what people are up to and and I have friends that are still dating, but this, I, I think women are not coming out ahead in this deal. I think it works really well for guys in this sort of like this dating app world where you can order a woman like a pizza. I think Bill Maher said <laughs> it's, you know, there's so many options and it makes it very easy to hook up with people and then just sort of be on to the next. And and while you can say that is empowerment, I know from my experience, it certainly didn't feel empowering. Mm-hmm. I kind of had like regret after sex. And, and when I had sex, it was always um, with the desire of having a relationship, but that wouldn't always pan out. And um that sort of aftermath for me was never a good feeling. So I think it's really hard for women, young women today to navigate all of that and keep that in balance, that, that empowerment and like feeling good and like, Hey, I can like go out and I can have a date tonight or I can have sex if I want, but also how am I really feeling about it? Like that might be sort of a fun instant thing, but am I going to feel good about it later this week when he's not calling or onto the next or, you know, it's just, it's really tricky. And I think everybody has to define that for themselves, but it it's, um, I feel like it's harder for women today and um, men have a better deal out of this. All right, Tara, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs make the best nursing bras that you can get your hands on, your boobs into, your nipples comforted by. Because you know, if you are a breastfeeding mother, how that feels. It was probably one of the toughest times in my entire life trying to just kind of recover from learning how to breastfeed. And I couldn't wear anything on my chest. One of the only things that I could actually put on comfortably was my Bravado Designs nursing bra. Not only was it so practical and easy to use, but it was just high quality. It was comfortable and it was just like buttery feeling. I don't know. It was so great. And now they have an everyday collection. So this is so great for me as a mom who has now weaned two babies. This collection has no clips. They are for anybody with boobs and truly just the quality, the comfort. Again, it's it's the same stuff you love. So you can check out the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that's bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And we are also supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable clothing company founded and created in Toronto. They believe in quality over quantity and they make, I am telling you, the best basics. 
that you can get for your kids. These are fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low-impact, non-toxic dyes. Super exciting too, they just came out with the second drop for their women's collection. This is the M and West collection. Everything is is just simple. It's made of French terry. It's ethically made. It's sustainably made. And again, it's just that high quality, cozy wear that you were jealous of your kids for having that you didn't have access to. But now, guys, like I come home from work, I throw on my M and West mini miage gear, and I am just in that the second. I come in through my door. It is so worth it. It really, truly is my favorite loungewear. And Minnie Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. It's available in Canada and in the US and it is one use per customer, so load up. Again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. And now let's get back to the interview. Well, it's funny. I was just writing um, an article about uh, us not using – somebody contacted us about like something we did that went viral talking about how we try not to use looks-based vocabulary with our kids in a positive or a negative way. We're not like, oh, mommy's feeling fat or mommy's, you know, getting chubby or, oh, you look so pretty. Oh, and we try – like I'll tell them that. But I really am um, conscious of how often I want to say that and how Mm. often I'm giving my daughters, I have two daughters only, giving them validation based on their looks. And it was hard on my husband and I, we we didn't think of it really for the first like two years of our eldest life. And then we spoke to somebody on our podcast about it and – like my husband was just sobbing because he's like, I don't even think of what I'm instilling them in because you, you just in them, sorry, because you just want to make them feel validated and feel loved. But then it's like, but wait, but all of this is tied to their appearance. And, you know, like I grew up with Polish, Russian, like Eastern European family, and it was only about how you looked. And if you started putting on weight, even as a teenager, somebody was going to pinch your chub and tell you that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah. And it was always like a laugh it off kind of thing and like, oh, are these crazy family members. But also the culture at that time in the 90s and early 2000s, it was psychotic. Like the way that tabloids and the media and other people would talk about people's bodies and their looks and their appearance, no wonder – People, I think, from my generation and older seek validation in looks and in other people. So is that something that you were ever able to stop doing or was it like you found that with your your current husband and then that was just fulfilling enough? Well, hell no. I mean, that I think those (laughs) things are sort of ingrained in us. Like when you as a kid and now, you know, like you're saying it, we're lucky in that these generations coming up are going to have a different perspective that it it isn't looks based. And um, I noticed a big shift when my daughter went to 
an all-girl high school for a while and they were really on it like they were really about you know other strengths and and it was never about supposed to be about your appearance but of course you know that's what we have those mistakes we've made about like okay yeah yeah you look so pretty and then like you're just it's like hard not to <laughs> yeah yeah it is hard it is hard not to so um I mean I think from my generation I've been hearing from a lot of women that read the piece and sort of understood the component about like how um focused looks based everything was and you know back then it really much more so than now obviously it was the key to having a good life was basically getting a great man. And then, you know, whatever job you had was until you found your husband, it wasn't really like a career that you invested too much in, uh, in the early seventies anyway. So now it's completely different. So I'm very grateful for that and grateful that the attention isn't paid to girls' bodies. Like it, I mean, you know, now I'm reading all these things, Oh, thin is back in. And then, Well, then it's coming back again. And I thought we were kind of really getting to a good place. So maybe it just comes and goes in cycles. I don't know, but it, it's, um, it seems to be something that's like really kind of entrenched Mm -hmm. it way down. And it is in my psyche anyway. I tried not to ever say in front of my daughter, like, oh, my jeans aren't fitting. I feel so, so disgusting right now. I, I never verbalized that, but you know, she could pick up messages other ways than verbally. So <laughs> all that crying I did over my clothes. No, um, uh, I, I hope that she has a better body image than, than I've had. Cause that, that is a long struggle. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. And for me in young adulthood, I think a lot of feeling more comfortable in that was by going out with men. And by thinking, oh, this guy is really into me. That must mean I look good. And then if I get rejected, I'm like, oh, my God, I must look terrible. And my happiness was so – and still kind of is with my husband, like, but so tied into whether or not I was getting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, not a, that's not a healthy mindset. <laughs> it's not a healthy mindset. Yes, I like it. But my validation, my self-worth should not be tied into that. It it should be two separate things. And that's what I think when, you know, I'm trying to be conscious of the language we use around our daughters, which is so freaking hard because it's so pervasive. The second they leave the house, it's in absolutely every – it's in the house on TV and everything, right? In Disney movies even. And it just – it's such a struggle – to say, hey, like, I don't want you to have to find validation in men. I don't want you to have to adhere to these, like, patriarchal beauty standards that are kind of bullshit. I want you to feel so free from that. But it's it's so hard. And I, I struggle every day with trying to find kind of an escape from that. Well, it sounds like you and your husband are such conscious parents that oh, – We're trying to be. <laughs> Yeah, we're really ahead of the game, I have oh. to tell you. <laughs> no, we're trying to be. It's it it is really hard though, and it worries me. Like I read stats. Um there was one we we used to work with Dove, like their beauty campaign. 80% of girls by the age of 13, uh they alter the way they look online like through filters or Photoshop. 
13? Like, I was, like, mooning cops when I was 13. Like, nothing, (laughs) you know what I mean? Nothing like that. It's it's so scary. You weren't doing Instagram at that point. Like, you know, you weren't influenced by all those. You know, we've seen those studies of how terrible it is for young girls. And, uh, you know, what, what can we do about it? It's really, other than trying to keep them away from all of that and and good luck with that i mean at some point they are influenced and sexualized and everything without any help from us but um it is just so disheartening that young girls are so easily influenced and i saw my my daughter's friends a a number of them were doing that from very early on so i I was aware of it like whoa no i believe in has your daughter, like with the experience that you had in your childhood and then again in your adult life and how you kind of came into everything, does she ever ask you for relationship advice and what what have you ever told her? <laughs> yes, I mean, she does. We talk about things, but she doesn't. She's like, Mom, you, you don't know the terms now. Like, I don't know lingo. And she's just like, Ugh. like she as far as she knows, I'm really just not terribly cool and. <laughs> You're very cool. I was, you can tell her I was like ecstatic to have this interview and to sit down with you. I think you are the coolest. Oh, you're so lovely. (laughs) Thank you. I'll have to quote you to my daughter. Thank you. Um, No, she, she just thinks like, I really don't know what I'm talking about. And I will say to her, like, look, it's been a really long time since I dated, but you know, uh, I think you you guys should go very slow or I'll, I'll make comments like that. But yeah, she's she's not taking all of it to heart. <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> there, you know what? There's I personally don't think there's too much wrong in that either. It's as important to find out what you don't like as it is what you like. But, That's true. But what I didn't expect, though, when she started dating, I would have all this anxiety about it. It sort of triggered my own history. So I, I was like, like, it was very strange when it first started happening, because I didn't really realize what was going on. I'm like, okay, well, she's dating, and this is normal. And I just felt like a little too invested mm-hmm. in what was going on. And then I sort of like caught myself, I'm like, okay, well, you know, she's free to make her choices. She's way sort of smarter and like has a better head on her shoulders <laughs> than I ever did. So um, you know, I, I kind of just, I'm there for support if she needs it, but, but she's pretty savvy. Do, do you ever have a hard time trusting the men or the boys that she's dating? Oh yeah. I mean, yes, I can imagine, I can imagine like that would be tough. Like my kids are two and four. I can't imagine when they start dating. I'm going to have a hard time with that. <laughs> oh, I know it'll, um, it'll be interesting. Yes. And I, but I also don't want to put that on her, if you know what I mean. She's telling me stuff about some, somebody, and then uh, I'll sometimes think, oh yeah, she met somebody and they're going to see each other. And I'm like, I already don't like the sounds of this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't sound like he's like totally together or is going to be a reliable person, but you know, I mean, if there was something that I thought was very detrimental or anything, I I would step in, but but for the most part, like, you know, you have to let them do their thing and learn like, okay, well, this is how I, like you said, like they have to figure out what they don't want mm-hmm. and what they don't. 
as much as w- what they do like. So it's um it's a process that I can't sort of make any shorter for her, even though I would like, <laughs> like to. No, I would like important. to abbreviate it. Like, okay, you're just gonna meet this one fellow who's gonna be is <laughs> cherish you beyond belief and you're gonna have the best life. So I, I would love that for her, but you know, <laughs> to chart her own course. No, absolutely. I, I think that's gotta be one of the scariest aspects of parenting. And again, like we are years away from it, but I just, even from knowing what I went through and and my mom and how she reacted with certain things and how she tried not to react with certain things, I see it all now. I didn't see it at the time, but that's got to be so difficult. And I want to ask, what is, if somebody's going to read this article, which I'm, I'm hoping a lot of our listeners are, what is something that you hope people take away from it? Because I think that, you know, a, a lot of people are probably, and I'm, I'm sure you're hearing it from people taking away different aspects as it relates to their own lives. But is there one kind of broader message or point that you're hoping people really kind of get? Oh, thank you. Um, I felt like the reason to write the piece was to show other people that even if you have these really sort of shaky, awful beginnings and you can sort of turn things around and you don't have to repeat the same sort of genetic the the sexual DNA or however you want to put it, the um, you don't have to make those same steps that, mm-hmm. as your parent. You don't have to follow in those footsteps. You can make your own path. And you know, I through a lot of trial and error, I've finally figured out how to make a different choice and and make that stick. Um, it wasn't always easy in different moments, but here we are. You know, seventeen almost seventeen years later. But I, I've been hearing that people felt inspired or that they they did recognize aspects of their own lives from either the moving around a lot or the a single mom that really had a lot of boyfriends or there's things. But I wanted to show people that, you know, hey, that it you can turn it around at any point. And that is the sort of empowerment that I, I was hoping to share from sharing my story and the uh, it seemed like people got the message and they felt sort of, even though I kind of dragged them through a lot of things as you <laughs> saw, I was like, I'm sorry, people, this might be a little traumatic to read all of this, but it will turn out okay in the end. So, and it can turn out great for you too. So, well, I thought it but- was, you did such a good job. And I don't think that anybody mind, minded getting dragged through anything because it was incredibly engaging. Like I remember even just seeing the title on the cut. I was scrolling Instagram and I was like, oh, this one sounds good. So I clicked on it. And then after your first paragraph, I was like, holy shit, I need to go somewhere quiet and finish reading this. Oh. And it was it was fantastic. And and I really do think that that point comes across really well in your article and in your story. And Thank you for sharing that and for being so vulnerable. And thank you for continuing that today with me on this podcast. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I hope more people will hear about my little story and how it might impact theirs too. And Tara, where can people go to find your writing, find you on social media, website, anything like that? If they go to taraellison.com, then all my writings up there and my Instagram links and all of all of that email, all of that good stuff is there. And I will so say, I was I was scoping it out and you've got some articles that I still need to sit down with and <laughs> about like sex and menopause and you know, getting <laughs> oh, yeah. staying hot. I love it all. I love it all. I love <laughs> what you cover. 
Oh, thank you. Well, the thing about menopause is like for uh, women, we're not talking about that either. So it's like now women are starting to. So, you know, you have plenty of time, obviously, but it, it's something that can be managed. So I kind of like taking subjects that people don't really want to talk about and diving in. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is juicy and people you know, need to know about this so that maybe that's my that's my sort of beat. Well, so you you do it well, and I love the juiciness, honestly. But Tara, thank you so much, and I hope I hope you have a great rest of your night. But I'll let you know when this is coming out. Right. Well, thanks so much, and I really appreciate that you reached out. No, it's been it's been super nice meeting you. Best of luck with so, everything. Thank you. You too. Take Bye. care. Good job, Alex. Not that I heard the interview as of yet, because of course I don't have time to listen. <laughs> right now <laughs> you can listen to it on your way to work on that to once work it comes tomorrow. out yeah but now we're going to work on answering listener questions alex has taken you the listener and your questions answer them and i'm here to listen to the answers and contribute maybe okay question number one what did you believe as a child that if it could be real was true now so I took this as like, what do you, do you know what that means? No. Okay. So I think it's like, what dream did you have as a kid or belief that you wish was true? Like, did you believe in fairies? Did you Fairies believe? aren't true now. No, exactly. But if it could be, like, what would you want to be true? Oh. If anything could be real. So like I was thinking about this and I was thinking that I could be like the best ever in one field because like I'd, you know, the Oscars would come on. I'd want to be the best actress ever, the Olympics. And I'd be like, I want to be the best Olympian. But at that party you and I were at last weekend, the night before we went Christmas tree chopping, we saw Canada's most decorated Olympian. And she looked so cool. We saw Penny Alexiak was hanging out at the party. And she just looked so cool. And thinking about this question, I was like, if I could be a tier one international athlete in anything, how cool would that be? You're healthy, you're fit, you're successful, you're jetting around the globe. It's everything. And Penny just looked so freaking athletic. I was so jealous. Like it was, and she looks cool. It's too much pressure. I don't like anything that has to be duplicated over and over and over again. I like stand-up comedy. Yes, they go on the road and they have to do a bit. And every, every night's like a new that's thing. That's pressure. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it is. But you also, you film a special. And then if that special kills, it lives forever. Like Eddie Murphy's Raw or whatever. And I'm sure there's some problematic stuff in Eddie Murphy's <laughs> old bits. But what I'm saying is that's a legendary thing that lives on forever. Movie actors... Um, what a uh, SNL. I like the fact yeah. that they they do it and it's just it's there. See, movie actors that that would be another thing that I'd like to do when I was a kid. You know, if it were yes. real. Um, that and the fact that I I think I used to make believe that my stuffed animals were real friends and like that would be nice too. This is very confusing. The if they were real because when I was a child, movie actors and <laughs> films were were real. No, but I, your belief, your belief in yourself that you could do something like that. That's what I'm saying. So like my belief was that I was going to be the best actress in the world at one yeah, point. I thought I was going to be the best singer in the world. Really? Yes, I, I like did. That. I would. My mom would walk by my bedroom and you could hear me singing. <laughs> I would do it almost every night, just sing. See, I have that realization, but as a 33-year-old mom, 
Never in my life have I thought I was a good singer. And now I'll really start getting into those lullabies at bedtime. And I'm, I'm into it. And I'm like, if I only started practicing now every day, I could do it. I could be Adele. I don't think you believe that. <laughs> no, but I do think I'm kind of good. But it, as far as things that don't exist now, I think Santa's a great thing to really oh, yeah. exist. I think he should exist. I think so too. And it bums me out that he doesn't. Yeah, I agree. No, that that would be really good. Also, just the myth of clear skin. I wish clear skin could actually exist. Have you noticed this? I've got, for the last week and a half, I've had like a patch of the world's tiniest little blemishes under my nose. There's like seven of them. And they just make a little red patch and it's just kind of itchy and it's so annoying. It just won't go away. My skin looks pretty good right now too, other than that. There's always something. Next question. If you had to pick the perfect spouse for your partner, who would it be? Would it be you? I'm going to just jump in and say, I think it would be me. I think I am the perfect spouse for Shane. And then I was trying to think of like, obviously your brain goes to celebs. And if I like every celebrity that I thought of for Shane was great in one way, but then I don't, I maybe Ooh, not great in another way. Well, I was just thinking of the ones that you're attracted to. Who? Who am I attracted to? Well, I was like, hey, Portman, I don't think you could actually date, even though you really like her. Well, I, I think she'd be kind of annoying, maybe, to you. I, I don't think you guys would mesh. Yeah. Maybe. She's, you know what I mean? She might find you annoying. I just don't think you, I think Shannon Sossaman would be the better bet out of those two. And then I was even thinking, I think Katy Perry would be good with you. Do you know who would actually be probably my best match? Who? Kate Hudson. I think about oh, that often. Okay. I think she would like me. I think we could get along. Katy Perry would be good for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like she seems like she's fun, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Katy Perry and Kate, uh, Kate Hudson. Mm-hmm. What about for me? Who would be good for you? Do, 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 do. Mm. Who's a good person for you? Jeez, you've See, it's tough. It's it's tricky to think. Well, you're so like malleable. It's you're just be like, I like car racing now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I would. Um if somebody if somebody is into something and they're super passionate about it, it's easy for me to get into it as long as it's not hockey. Unless I was to like marry an NHL player, then I'd be all in. But that's a different story. Yeah. Who's somebody you have a crush on? Tom Hardy? Nah, it wouldn't work. Why? I don't know. It wouldn't be compatible. <laughs> okay, what about the guy from Outlander? No, it wouldn't work. Why? It wouldn't be good. <laughs> you can tell that guy just no likes reason. to be solo. No, he just, he likes his spare time. Okay, what about uh, Henry Cavill? That'd be a good match. I could date Henry Cavill. Yeah, he's a total nerd in real life. And he's a homebody. That's all I need. Shane's a nerdy homebody too. Yeah, Henry Cavill would be good. There you go. Yeah, and he's not overly obsessed with how handsome he is. (laughs) That's good. Isn't that nuts? Can you imagine? Like, just like... Being and I say this as like a genderless thing, just like taking the level of looks that Henry Cavill naturally has and applying that to anybody like that's just we we're talking about power and looks and money earlier. 
And there is a good example of a guy who's just probably these natural good looks just got him all that stuff. You know what I mean? Without having to try too hard. I think he's a hard worker and super intelligent too. My he's one friend works with him. Right. You told me that. What does he do? He directs. He met him on the set of a commercial, and I think he works with him repeatedly. So I think he in like he's in L.A. working with him. What I know about Henry Cavill is that he spends a lot of his time in his house taking apart like different kinds of computers and then rebuilding them into like super computers. Like he's a, like a total intelligent nerd. Yeah. That's good, man. There you go. All right. So uh, whoever dies first gets their either Kate Hudson or Henry Cavill. So we just because someone else dies, it means yes. we get the celebrity. Yes, right. I'll I'll inform them via email. Uh, have you ever manifested anything, and do you believe in manifestation? Everything I've ever done, I've manifested. Like I mm-hmm. manifest everything. That's and all I, I do. I think when people think of like manifestation, and when a lot of people talk about manifestation. It's very much like a cosmic thing. But the way I see it, it's not a cosmic thing at all. It's simply setting a goal, doing what you need to do to achieve that goal, like making changes in your life, spending time, whatever. And then you achieve it as long as your eyes are kind of always focused. But it's not like a cosmic thing where you write something on a piece of paper and then burn it and then let the universe do, you know, what it will. It's something you have to work for. You just need tunnel vision. Yeah. Like, honestly, when I want something, nothing else matters. So my friend Mike, when he was 18, he got on this thing called the VJ Search in Canada, which uh, much music is like our version of MTV that they have in the States. And you get to be a VJ if you make a really good video. You're you're in this contest. And if the video is good enough, they select you. And then uh, I think they let eight people in it. And then you can get all this TV exposure. And from that, it can springboard to a real career in television. So my friend Mike, he didn't win. He made it top five and then ended up being an intern at Much Music. I saw that and I said, I'm going to enter video contests until I am on TV. And one day I will work at Much Music, just like my buddy Mike. And I just kept doing videos and Mm -hmm. videos and videos. I entered three Much Music video searches. Each time I entered, I would get closer and closer. In fact, they had a section called Close But No Cigar. <laughs> and I got into that. And I saw, oh, I almost made it. Then the next year I submitted and I didn't make it, but I, got, I was featured on, on their station. But MTV Canada contacted me and said, right. we saw your VJ search video and we want you to enter our contest, this world intern VJ contest. And then I made a video and then I won that contest. And then Much Music hired me off of winning another contest yeah and then the guy i work with right now mark myers who's directing my sketch show he won the much music temp contest which is you he won a summer internship so all these people i know have gotten their careers from winning contests Mm -hmm. and one of the writers on my show one of my favorite writers he entered a contest through my podcast right and that's how i met him and we're watching sketches with them so it's i don't know maybe it's just canada it's easier to like reach for the stars and get them but i feel like if anybody just puts their head down and starts working you can get it you just have to be focused 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 on it yeah and it's it's that focus and then a little bit of luck but you're going to create more luck for yourself if you keep focusing and putting yourself in a position to get lucky like viral videos something that was something i always wanted to do being a viral video you and I have been in a, a bunch. bunch. 
Yeah. <laughs> once every two weeks, basically. Yeah, once a month, I would say. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Betty's hair is still, for those listeners who have seen it, that video is still taking off. It's very oh, hilarious. 6.5 million. Yeah, I get like 100 comments a day Yeah, sent to me. It's very funny. Uh, you next- manifested it. Yeah, <laughs> that terrible haircut with my lack of skill. I think my brother thinks I did it intentionally. Did I tell you that? Yeah, well, there's been theories going around that you have. W- among who? Various people I know. Like who said talking. that? I can't, I can't say they said don't tell Alex, but Get they're out suspicious. There's people who are suspicious. No, of, who yes. said don't tell Alex? Out the people, on the podcast. I can't tell you who. Didn't yes, say you can. It, but I will say it. To me, a theory is a working theory. If you, if it was legitimate, yeah, is that you made a minor mistake and it looked bad, and you went too far with the haircut, and then you decided to just cut it off a little bit more. Oh no, I Shane, that was one cut. It was one cut. That was that one much. cut. <laughs> what does Jake say? Jake, Jake was like, "Uh, how did that even happen?" And I was like, "Oh man, I'm just so bad." And then that was it at like 7 p.m. one night and then at 10 a.m. the next morning he goes yeah but Alex like actually how did that happen because I I am having a hard time wrapping my head around it me too honestly me too like I I did not do more than one cut because I was just terrified about how much more I was going to screw it up so I did one cut put the scissors down and just had a little freak out in my head. I talked about it on my other podcast. I know you don't listen to it, but we talked about the plausibility of it being real or fake. Who thought it was fake? No no one else really got into it, but I talked about how there was another friend who was suspicious of it. You got bleep the name. Well, Alex, I can't, if I say the name here, the person listening to it <laughs> would know that I said it to you. I, I'm not just bleeping it for other people's benefit. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? Do you did you think that I it was, was suspicious? Uh, I was very curious. I was suspicious because you did even the way you told it. Your stories are like, oh my god! You're like laugh crying. You're like, oh my god! I I cut my daughter's hair and it's so bad. And then you just go, it's like a Dumb and Dumber cut, and you show a picture of Jim Carrey. Twenty minutes go by. I say, Alex, show the picture of like you're leading <laughs> all your Instagram followers to think that you did this haircut, but you're suspiciously not showing. Betty's hair. So then 20 minutes later, boom, you post the haircut. You know why I took that time? It seemed like you were actually cutting it. What? No, it's because I was still freaking out. And Betty and Lucy were cut. Like Lucy was in the bathtub. Betty and I were sitting in the bathroom when I went to cut the hair. Yes. And then Betty's just kind of all over the place and in a bad mood. Not because the haircut, because I think she does like it. But she was just in a bad mood. So I didn't want to take a picture of her when she was crying because I didn't want people to think that I made her cry with the haircut and that I was a bad mom. Oh, truth comes out. So I just wanted to wait until she was like not as sad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's also tricky because you lie over insignificant things sometimes. <laughs> like, hey, who took this smarty? <laughs> Not me. And you'll know you did, but you'll just blatantly lie about it. So I was thinking this is one of those maybe innocent lies. Wait, what do you think right now with me explaining this to you? I believe you now. Yeah, you should. That's the way it happened. I just, I honestly cannot believe that it turned out so badly. One cut. Now you like it. Yeah, it's kind of cute. It's still bad cut, but it's kind of cute. Anyway, next question. How do you handle family with different values over the holidays? Thanksgiving was a disaster. So this is... American. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I don't know if they meant last year or like that it was going to be a disaster for this year, but Thanksgiving is a disaster. So I was looking this up. Typically what I do if I'm around like family with differing opinions or that is confrontational, just avoidance. Like I don't want to make the one time in the year when I see everybody nasty and about things that we disagree on, whatever. I just avoid. Redirect conversations. Speak to other people. And then I was looking stuff up online and it was generally that. So take turns, like set vague time limits for different family members. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to set five minutes to talk to Uncle Bob. Because after that five minutes, it's going to get like, it's just going to go into like a toxic place. Get the heck out of there. Okay, start saying random stuff to me, like just make up stuff like about animals or something that's not true. Okay. Did you know pandas are allergic to peanuts and that the handlers at the Toronto Zoo are feeding them peanuts and it's a whole (laughs) big peanut industry thing and you're supporting it because of your... Alex, you're just going on too long. Oh, you just said start saying random stuff. I know. I thought you're trying to... Sheen's waving me (laughs) off. Well, I waved you have eight. I was just trying to act out how I was trying to help people and how they could talk to an uncle. I thought you were going to cut me off. No. <laughs> I thought you wanted. I was like, like an uncle if they're like, you know, the vaccine causes autism, which yeah. or something. I just wanted you to make a bold claim. Okay. Like that. You ready? And when I when I I tried laughing at you to <laughs> to incite you to cut off. Okay. Are you okay. ready? You know, the vaccine causes autism. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> That's a good non-confrontational way to end a conversation. Yeah, I think the the laugh, smile, I don't know about that. Joking it off is the best way. Anything yeah. else is going to cause trouble. Yeah, I read one um, and I was kind of on the fence about it. It said, if there's like a pointed question, just politely decline to answer it. Say, oh, I don't feel comfortable talking about that right now. But I feel like people could read that piece of advice and then take it to like a place that automatically makes it confrontational. Like I'm declining to answer that question. It's making me feel uncomfortable and I could see it getting really weird. Well, ask me a pointed question about something or whatever. Did you get that vaccine there? Did you know it causes autism? (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) You can't be mad at that. (laughs) It's so affable. It's so nice. I think your heart's in the right place. (laughs) Okay. And our final question for the night. Christmas gift ideas? Help. Depends what your budget is. Okay. Shane, give give me one low budget, one medium, one high for man and women. Okay. These Crocs that I'm wearing right now are the best. They're like mm-hmm. slipper Crocs. So they're Crocs. And I know like, ooh, they were very unfashionable a short time ago and they might have a stigma to some. But I bet your partner would love a pair of Crocs that have the fuzzy insole. What I like about them is it's like a practical house shoe because it's got the really hard bottom. They don't slide off and you can like do chores fast in them, which is, I think, the biggest test to, you know, a good house shoe. And Crocs are cheap, but high quality. So and I'd that's say, a rare combination. Would you say it's a mid-price then? I think I got mine for 40 bucks. If it's for your significant other, that's low. I guess it's it's higher if it's maybe for a sibling or something, depending on how much you spend on your sibling. Um, 
I wouldn't. I find people don't wear robes. Everyone buys robes. No one ends up wearing the robes. So mm-hmm. I, robes is a classic gift that I think maybe moms like them, but not your significant other. Um, what else is good? Oh, you okay for a higher gift, Shane? What are the the AirPod things that I bought you? Because they're not AirPods oh, and they're better than. Don't them. buy AirPods. I'm a person who's had AirPods and Beats. Beats are made by Apple. Some people don't know that. They have a two and a half hour longer battery life. They stay in your ears better. They actually like have a mechanism that hooks like to the, your inner mm-hmm. ear, I guess. And they are so much better. Are they more comfortable? More comfortable, everything. Mm-hmm. They're just my one of my favorite items. My Apple Watch is another favorite thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Not an ad. <laughs> but, you know, the Apple Watch is very expensive and a lot of people have it anyway. But, yeah, Beats. If it's for somebody you love and you have a bit of money and you want to uh, woo them, it they will be happy. And at first they might be like, no, AirPods, they're better than AirPods. And I bet your significant other has had a pair of AirPods that they've lost. Mm-hmm. And they probably like don't even want to bother with another pair of AirPods. Those beats are good. What do you and say? And well, I'm thinking for a low-end gift. Shane, what would you say about... Some really good pens. I love pens. I love if you have a writer in the family, an organizer. I love a good moleskin yes. organizer. That that date book that you got me, it's very mm-hmm. handy. Love it. Um, yeah, nice pen. Like something that's cheap, like some what what's an item that's very cheap? Uh like let's say hand cream. So right. uh, hand cream typically is cheap. Buying the most expensive thing that's cheap mm-hmm. i'm always impressed by for a christmas gift because it's something i wouldn't buy for myself ever because it's too expensive for something small so a pen getting the best pen yeah is relatively cheap but let's say it was 70 bucks i'd be like "Ooh, this is my new special little pen or special hand cream that's not 395 it's <laughs> 60 bucks and i yeah, feel like yeah. a king on christmas and that's all you want to feel like right yeah no absolutely actually you got me one of my favorite gifts last year and it's just that ther- thermos. It's a mug that I put my coffee in. It's just unspillable. It's amazing. I'll try to hook it up to my Amazon store. That was for Mother's Day. Mother's Day? Yeah. I got oh, I got you that with your Lululemon bag and yes, stuff. Yes. It's the best. The best mug coffee thing I've ever had like for on the go. It's incredible. And what, what I got you another thing that was really And that good. was like that was like around 100 bucks you said. Oh, right? the Lululemon what what is it called? Like oh, it's like geez. a not a fanny pack. No, it it's with- a belt bag. So this Lululemon belt bag is the hottest thing in the world. I tried to buy one for Shane's sister for Christmas. There's like not even a single belt bag in stock at all. The only ones that you can get are like two hundred dollars from a reseller because they're the only ones that exist right now. Lululemon after Black Friday was totally zip out of belt bags. And they're the best. It's the handiest thing. Mine's filthy. That's a good reminder. I need to clean it. Yeah. Wear too much. Is that all? Okay, everyone. What a great episode of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to This this Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 152.